the older generations are doing the world a disservice by not putting their story out there because we can learn, we can be open, we will become a better society the more people that listen to your show, the That's more people Brian's that are inspired to tell their story, to share all their journeys. Online. Now, you can be forgiven if you mistake this week's show as competition between millennials and baby boomers. Brian's one of my favorite millennials. For many years, we've spoken together on many stages, and Brian talks to baby boomers and Gen X about reaching out and communicating with millennials, primarily from a marketing perspective. But I thought it would be really fascinating to have a conversation with Brian about what we, about how millennials view baby boomers, about how they see us. And maybe we can gain some good advice and some insight on how we can be more comfortable and more effective in the online space by paying attention to the strongest community in the online space, which is definitely the millennials. So put on your seatbelt. Brian is high energy, if nothing else. He goes a mile a minute, and I think you are going to be fascinated to learn more from iSocial fans, Brian Fanzo. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for those of us in the gray zone. What is the gray zone? Primarily baby boomers and Gen X, those of us sporting a touch of gray. We're interested in finding our place in the digital age. On this podcast, we will learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, all from our perspective. The world's changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore. We're facing the prospect of a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need a side hustle to take our experience and put it to work for us. We need to develop mad skills, adapt, and evolve in order to remain relevant in the digital age. I can help. This podcast can help. I'm glad you found us. When I started Gray Matters, when I started this podcast, you were in the back of my mind the whole time. Did you know that? I did not know that. I did not. I feel extra special now. Well, for the, as I mentioned in the preamble, Brian and I go way back, but I followed your career and I always thought you were the guy, now correct me if I'm wrong, but you were the guy who built your career teaching baby boomers how to sell to millennials. At the end of the day, that's what you did. You taught us how to relate to your generation. Is that, is that fair? For sure. I, I, I wore the millennial badge as a, a badge of honor and also took it on to say, hey, let's translate and make this all work rather than just bashing one side of that. Yeah, without question, I, I found that as a place where I could sit nicely and talk from my perspective, right? There's a lot of older people talking about how to relate with millennials, but there was very few millennials talking about how to relate with millennials. And I jumped in on that on that wave, no doubt. So, th so, th so now we're like five, six years down the road, and millennials own the online space. You guys, you guys have carved out your space, and now it's the baby boomers who are having to find a way to kind of carve out our little niche of, of the online space. Are you noticing? Are, have you noticed a shift in in the competition or the or the uh, the, the conflict between the generations, especially talking baby boomers and millennials? No, I think one of the, the weird thing is I think when it comes to it is there's a there, I think there's a weird understanding of what engagement is versus what sales are or what people are actually going and taking action right like and I think this is that space where people will oftentimes say they're targeting millennials or that's who they want to reach but I think there's, there's a weird gap there. the other part of that 
I think sometimes they want to reach baby boomers, but they don't realize that they can use millennials to do so, right? Because millennials are very in- influential with their parents or even grandparents or even influential. You know, I, I talk about this all the time, but like, you know, there's a lot of older generations that look to say, what is the younger people wearing? What is the technology they're using, right? Are they using an iPad or a Samsung, right? Like they're trusting that. And like, I think there's, there is like a weird piece there, but there's also this misnomer where, Millennials are more tech savvy than than other generations. I would argue that. I mean, you and I, I think, have had this discussion for many years. I, I mean, I know plenty of non-millennials that know way more about technology and are way more dialed in than I am. It's just that mass flood, and and also there's an element of. Uh, I, I use this all the time. I think every generation, no matter what generation you look at, would have killed to have social media at their disposal at their generation in the prime, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you can throw baby boomers, throw Gen Xers. I mean, everyone was about movement, getting their voice heard, you know, wanting to reach the change the world. Um, we all have believed in the power of our of together. And it just happens to be that millennials happen to be perfectly aligned in the social media space. But you give social, you give Facebook and Twitter to baby boomers and Imagine the change that would have happened in the 60s and the 70s that that we are able to do now. And so I think that's that weird spot where we sometimes label it and you're like, wait a second, let's take this back a step. And I also would like to say like there's an element of, you know, when someone, you know, when the other generations start telling their story on social media, there's an authenticity level there that is amazing because there's not enough people putting it out there, right? We all we all have those great people, those great connections, but it's hard to get some of the baby boomers to understand why they should tell their story online, which is why I love your mission here because the more that are the, the right now, there's not very many playing in that field. Yeah. And the more people that are putting themselves out there, the more influential are, the easier it will be to stand out. And I think we as a culture need that more so probably than anything else right now. Why do you think so many baby boomers, so many Gen Xers have difficulty sharing online, being uh, creating that level of authenticity, being as open online? What, 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 what do you think from your perspective, the challenges? You know, I think, um, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you know, blue collar town. And my dad is always like growing up. My dad was always a big believer in that his experience, his work and his results will speak for themselves. And I think that was that's just ingrained in that culture, that work ethic. That's why baby boomers aren't lazy like most of my fellow millennials are. But there's an element of in the digital space. If you're not your own biggest cheerleader, if you don't understand the importance of telling your story, it becomes very hard to stand out. And that would be the number one reason is I don't think it has anything to do with what year we are. There's just a generation that said, we've been there, we've done that, that should be enough. And unfortunately, in the social media space, there are way too many people with a megaphone that are full of crap selling unicorns and rainbows that drowned out that 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 work ethic. And so that's the, that's the challenge. I think we have to change your mindset to say, I need to put myself out there and talk about why I do what I do because if I'm not, people aren't going to see that stuff that that I have been doing. And it is it's a generational switch for sure. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting concept. That's an interesting take. One that I hadn't necessarily attached to my generation. But you're absolutely right. I think that you've actually hit a real nugget of truth here, uh, and it's one of the things that I teach when I'm talking about social media, creating content, is there is an expectation that if you've worked hard to create a video, a post of some sort, that you should be rewarded and recognized for that. But I I always say in my class is that, you know, at that point there, your real work begins because now you have to yep. shine a light on your work because nobody else is going to do it for you. And let me ask what your dad. Um, I was raised in a world where we didn't share 
overshare because it was seen as boastful. We didn't talk about money. Nobody knew how much anybody made. We didn't talk about how much a car cost. You know, the money and so consequently, many of us grew up absolutely ignorant of financial responsibility because it was a taboo subject. It was almost like talking about religion. You know, which was another taboo subject, which is another issue now that I come to think about it. Man, we have a lot of issues. But but was your dad like that? Did you never? Did he never discuss without question how much money it costs to do things and how much it takes to do it and how much he earned and what his expectations were? Oh, that was a complete. He wouldn't even share with us as kids, let alone sharing it publicly on social media, right? I mean, he, that was very. But there was also an element like my dad um, was a very successful candy salesman that turned into you know he was a co-owner of a peanut brittle company that was globally you know uh, selling peanut brittle around the world. And I remember my dad got a Corvette, a, the 50th year anniversary Corvette, which was like the first time that my dad I actually saw my dad reward himself for the amazing hard work he has, and he's my hero in business and in life, and as a dad that I look up to. Um, but I remember he only had the Corvette for a couple of years, four or five years. And part of it was for him was like, he didn't need that attention because he knew the people that were in his inner circle knew how successful he was and the things that really mattered to him. Funny enough, my generation will rent a Corvette just to take a picture to make it appear like we're like that. And my dad was so humble that he was like, I don't even want the Corvette to uh, make it to show off my wealth. There, I think there's also this weird gap. Like if we look at that, the Gen Xer millennial side, there's that weird space where there was a group of people, and I think the internet boom has a lot to do with this, that got really good at pounding their chest and bragging, right? And so I think where we're at now, it's not as much bragging, it's more about bringing people on a journey and being transparent. But there was probably 10 years in there where people, it wasn't telling your story, it was faking it till you make it. I mean, the, the, the dot-com bust is that exact reason. And even when I when I talk internationally, I, every time I talk internationally, uh, you know, in Ireland or UK or Dubai, I always say, they always say, well, Brian, we're two years behind America or four years behind. I'm like, no, you're not. We are just better at bragging about ourselves and telling you all the things we might be doing where other cultures are still just, that's just not their nature. And I think that's a generational thing as well. And I think this is where to me, like, I mean, I'm very blessed. My first job as a manager, I was working for the government. Uh, I ended up having 32 high, uh, direct reports. My first 23 employees were older than I was. So I was the manager and the first 23 people we hired over my first three years were older than I was. I got taught amazing lessons on not only managing above me, but to understand how to respect my elders while still commanding respect myself, understanding the importance of experience, understanding how to kind of make all these things work. And I think for a lot of when, when, a, when a millennial is complaining about what's going on, I think oftentimes it comes from a side of they're not willing to understand and they're not willing to learn, right? Because there, it does take almost an extra effort to get out there. But to your point, you know, my dad, my dad was 100% that way. Um, I remember my mom, like my dad's not even on Facebook. You know, he, he uses my mom's account to like check in on, the, on his, his three sons. But I remember my mom screenshotted something and sent it to him. One of the first times I ever posted on Facebook, it was probably five years ago. And I, and I said, I just lost a $15,000 client. And I remember my dad being like, I don't think that's something you want to put out into the world that A, you're losing a client, B, how much the client is. And then I was like, well, dad, that's just how I am. Like, that's how I'm putting myself there. And the way that I put it back to him was, dad, would you share that on the golf course? And he's like, hell yes, I would. I would share that on the golf course. He's like, because that's just something with the people I'm playing golf with, like I would share when I lost a client. And I said, well, that's how I treat social media. And for, for him, I remember I said that very easily to him. And it, 
opened his eyes to a whole world and he was like yeah but you're playing golf with you know millions of people right like where he was playing golf with the inner circle but i think that was that was a big light bulb for him being like he saw how i was treating this like i'm gonna be authentic just like my dad had always taught me how to be authentic on the golf course because that's where business was done that comes down to how generations also communicate and how so many baby boomers gen x the older generations don't recognize that online communications can be as real aren't always but can, aren't always. can be as real as their face-to-face communications and they can be as relevant and that's a that's something that I, uh, we we definitely have to struggle to overcome here i got a challenge for you and a question so so many of us now the baby boomers and gen x's we are now facing a transition into uh into the into having to create a side hustle having to look to, or wanting to look to social to build our business now when i started when i transitioned out of television the thing that held me back the most from getting in the online space was I think it was happening just as you were talking about that weird in-between self-promotional thing. And I saw guys like the syndicate and all these people that were out there smarmy as can be in the online space selling. And I did not want to be painted by that brush. And it really held me back and held back how much energy and, and, and how willing I was to commit to this whole process because it, 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 it went against my moral fiber. What do you say to one of your dad's buddies who says, I'm not ready to retire, Brian. I want to do something. I've got some white collar skill. Maybe your dad, maybe, you know, somebody like that that says, you know, I've got these skills in confectionery business. I'm not ready to hang them up, but I'm not really welcome in the workplace anymore. You know, in the traditional workplace, what can I do? Uh, how, how, how do you coach them? What do you, what do you, what do you say to them about this online space? So, you know, I think the weird part is the word content is overwhelming, right? Like, you know, if you say that everyone's a content creator, people outside of marketing are like, what does that even mean? Like, what is content? And like, what? And then you say, well, you need to tell your story. And, you know, there's a generation that says, well, my story is who I am. If you get to know me, you'll know my story. Or I'm not a storyteller. And I think what I tell people is that in the digital world, your first impression is what people look up. You know, as much as we would love to say that when you meet someone offline, they haven't done their research, I don't care how good your handshake is, what your clothing is when you're wearing, 99% of the time, someone's looking you up. Like, even when someone introduces me at an event and says, Brian, stay right here. I'm going to go get such and such and bring him over to you. The very first thing I do is open my phone. I Google that person's name. I open LinkedIn and I look at their profile. I scan up and down. And then when I shake their hand, even though 30 seconds ago, I never even heard of them. I have a first impression, right? So when I'm telling this, it's like, you know, there's a gener- this generation is really good at telling their story. My dad is one of the greatest storytellers of all time, in my opinion. I talk a lot. My dad talks more than I do. Um, my, you know, it's just a, it's a compelling piece. And I think the thing about content that becomes overwhelming is because I think this is, and this is would be my advice. I think most, and this happens for all generations, but especially older generations. When they want to create content, they finally believe in the in telling their story. I believe they start wrong. I think they look and say, okay, where are my people? I want to start where my people are. And I'm going to say that's the wrong place. Where I'm going to I'm going to challenge you and say, start where you are most comfortable first. And let's get into a content process. And then once you get used to putting yourself out there, it's very scary at first, sharing vulnerability. I mean, I remember my I, I was like, I talk about ADHD on stage. My dad's like, why? Why would you even mention that you have ADHD on stage? And I'm like, well, that's a vulnerability that people can relate to. And like, you know, so these are things fair, that are scary. To be fair, anybody who's ever met you, Brian, it's not a surprise. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of obviousness there, yes. <laughs> when you look at this, when you start, if you start where your audience is, if someone's like, man, your audience would consume video, you should do video, but you hate video, 
the thing about it that scares you is now you've added extra variables and more reasons not to do it and more things that scare you. And so that's why I, I'm very big believer in like, okay, let's start where you're most comfortable. If you like talking, do a voice transcript of, a, of you talking for 20 minutes about a topic and transcribe it into a blog post and edit it, right? Like let's, let's start where you're most comfortable, get into that flow and then eventually find where the next spot is, right? And I think the other piece of this is if this whole idea of content scares you, team up, like collaborate. There's the younger generation is looking for mentorship. And you, there's one thing you can say about millennials being lazy, millennials, um, you know, wanting attention. There's a, there is a, without question, a, a subset of this younger generation that says, I am willing to give my expertise if you're willing to give me yours, right? Like the number one lesson for I me, mean, it changed my life. I had a senior VP at my government contracting business. His name is Sandeep Call. He was the senior VP. He came to me in 2005, and I had just started at the company maybe six months. We happened to be sitting next to each other at lunch. The fire alarm went off. We went outside, and we were talking, and he said, you know what? He goes, I love your work ethic. I love your passion. He's like, let's, let's, let's share services. He's like, I need you to teach me two things. I need you to help me with my BlackBerry so I can figure out how this works, and I need you to teach me where this social media thing is going, and if you can teach me these two things in return, I'm going to give you access to the boardroom and into meetings that you could have never gotten anywhere else. And I can tell you for five years straight, I was bringing donuts to the boardroom and sitting against the wall. I was sitting in on conference calls that I was not allowed to talk on, but I was able to have experience. He was, I, I ended up going to his house, installing his Wi-Fi network when he first got Wi-Fi. I helped him set up his very first Facebook page. And that, that reverse mentorship role was so rewarding for both of us that, I mean, still this day, I, I, it's still something that I would, I put in the top five reasons of my success has to do with this shared relationship. And I would say there are plenty of these opportunities that are out there for the older generation today. So if you're like, hey, I have a great story to tell, but I don't know really what content is, you know, have someone interview you and do a series of interviews and allow pay, you know, Hey, I'm going to have, I'm going to tell you my story. I want you to help amplify it in return. I'm going to give you advice on, on you know, growing your business and being sustainable and, and how to, to set yourself up to, I just had a call with a, a, a mentor of mine and all of we were talking about was how we can be, how I can recession proof my speaking business. That is not something a millennial thinks about. Like, just for everybody, just, and I know it's probably not surprising, mm -hmm. but like, I don't own a house anymore. I owned a house at one point. I decided I wanted to be a renter. Uh, I, I am one of those ones that decided I wanted to own less things and travel more, and I like experiences. But, I mean, I had a call, I and mean, it was a two-hour call on recession-proofing my business with a baby boomer because... I was like, this isn't something in my in my purview. And so I think that's a great something great to think about is how can I collaborate and team up with someone that gets this world that can help me get started? But the other piece of that is you have to you have to be social on social media. It has to be you. There is no easy button. There's no direct automation. There's no and, that, and that's the thing that's scary. And the other piece of this is. I think there's also a numbers that, you know, if you look at millennials, millennials will talk about followers and views and, and, and Dotto, you and I have had this talk so many times. I don't, I, I think we, if, if you look at this and say, if you told somebody you're going to create a piece of content, you're going to tell a story and 300 people are going to view it in one week. If I had told you that 10 years ago, people would have paid anything in the world to get 300 people to, to just listen to them talk for, for a week, right? Now, when we look at video metrics and success, we're like, we're like, oh, your views, you're not, you don't have thousands of views or you're not as big as I, Justine. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a hey, let's manage expectations. If I can get 20 or 30 of my, my friends or my colleagues or 
if I get one of the people that is a VC or one of the people, you know, like I think this is that other piece of it. So I, I mean, I think the number one tip is try to find where you're most comfortable. The second one is don't worry about the platforms as much. Worry more about getting yourself used to telling your why. It's your, it's your individual why. And then the third part of that is, you know, find someone to collaborate with. It's, I mean, the the opportunity for younger generations to learn is there. They want it. It's just a matter of you have to be willing to like kind of share those services and let go of things, which is which is scary for both sides. Yeah, for sure. The, the, as people transition, as as baby boomers are now transitioning in and starting to look for new opportunities, I think you really hit on a, an interesting option there, which is acting as a in a mentorship role acting as a, a, a in guidance so what do millennials like like for a baby boomer to create and, and engender a level of trust one of the things that's a big challenge is of course if if we aren't socially savvy then i think that that undermines the first of all i'll ask the question of you if you meet somebody who you know you respect as skills in business or maybe you don't even know you just but they don't they aren't socially savvy and they don't present that they're willing to become socially savvy what does that do to your relationship with them it hurts it hurts it honestly it does it hurts if i and honestly there's an element where even um when i'm doing business negotiation you know as a speaking is my full-time gig if i'm going on to someone's linkedin account and they're wanting to hire me and they're at a business and i don't know them personally right they're, they're reaching out cold uh and they haven't updated their linkedin account in seven years um and they're not they don't have a brand you know like there's nothing um i honestly i judge that you know i guess that's this is me being i immediately like okay is this someone that is going to get me is this someone i want to work with and the second part of that is this someone that's going to help me beyond this one transaction right so i think that that it, there is an element of that now the caveat to that is if someone is reaching out and doing it in a way that says, hey, I know I don't have that presence. It's something I'm working on and I want to work on or I see the value of it, then that's a whole different ballgame, right? And so I think the people that you know, are probably listening to this show, they have at least taken a step further and said, hey, I need to understand this wave that is happening. And you know, and I, and I like to say, I, want, I don't need you to be open to change because change is scary for all of us. I need, just need you to be open to having a, a different perspective, right? The word perspective is what I always use on these calls when someone's like, Brian, help me in this space because I just want you to see it from my perspective and then let's see where, where things work and how we can gradually go. And remember, the, the, the digital world, as much as it seems like we can throw up a website and create an account so easily, it still is no different than anything else in business. It's about baby steps and the long-term relationships. So you have to start somewhere, right? You have to, you have to, you, and, and it, it might be as simple as putting on your calendar every Monday to just go in on LinkedIn and check and see if anyone's like mentioned you or, or, or have anything that's out there or like a few comments, like, put it on your calendar and just make it that thing. And I know that sounds almost mundane and, and, and painful, but it's little things like that that hurt. But I mean, to answer your question as honestly as I can, um, I do, I, I do judge if, if you, and, and weirdly enough, my dad is, you know, he sold his business. My dad is a consultant now. Uh, I had to help my dad get on LinkedIn. He's on LinkedIn. Um, but his boss is his boss of, uh, of his consulting side is always commenting and liking my LinkedIn videos. My dad is still at the point where he's like, I don't even understand where those videos would be or why would I comment and like it? Like I'll send you a text, right? Like, so like there is that, that, that juxtaposition. But I remember, I remember telling my dad, like when he was, he left 
sold the company, retired, realized quickly that his work ethic, drive, passion, and let's face it, my mom needed him out of the house. Um, he needed to go back and kind of start the side hustle back up, and um, and he's been doing the consulting side. But I told him right, right away that, hey, I, I, I love that you have you know probably one of the best uh, you know, reputations in the entire candy industry, uh, as far as what my dad has, I was like, but when you look at yourself online and if you're dealing with a 30 year old, um, you know, candy, uh, you know, business manager and he looks you up and you don't have anything on the presence, you don't have a Facebook, you don't have a LinkedIn, you've never, you know, like, and the couple mentions you have are like, it's funny, a couple of my mentions, my dad's clips are pictures of a newspaper article <laughs> that someone had <laughs> taken a picture of. Like, it's not even like a, a mention in the, in there. So, um, there is a there is an element of judging there, and I think that's something to be aware of. I think it's something to understand our mentality, and it's not a slight on saying you're bad at business, and it's not a slight in saying that person can't help me, but it, there is an immediate judgment of saying, are they going to get me, and is this relationship truly going to be fruitful moving forward? You know, you've, you've spoken a lot on FOMO, the fear of missing yes. out, and it's something that you suffer from. Without question, without question, I suffer from. I want you to riff on it. I think baby boomers suffer from, I, I don't know if it's a photom, fear of too much. There's too many networks. Your yep. dad, your dad's a prime example. Oh, geez, Brian, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's, it's too freaking much, man. Where do I start? This is a good one. I mean, my dad just messaged me, this is probably over the holidays, and he said, son, I'm on your tweet homepage and like, where else do I have to go to f see your stuff? Like, he's like, do I go to your website? Do I go to your Facebook? Like where he's like, and you have to talk about this podcast, but I see the videos on your tweet page and I'm like, I'm like, okay, dad. And, and you're right there. Not only is there an over, there's an overwhelming for the millennial generation. Like, let's face it. I, yeah. And, and part of what I do individually is I'm on every channel. I'm very active on every channel, but my, my majority of the time, and I was just speaking with a business in Fort Lauderdale last week. Almost every time I tell people to focus on one or two of them. And, and I, and I try to present all of the value propositions of all of the networks and then say, here's all the value. Here's all, here's the audience. This is the audience behaviors. You decide which one's best for you. But what I would argue in weirdly in this space is that when you get started, and I, and I always say this, like, you know, I, I say the field of dreams marketing is broken, which means if you build it, nobody is coming, right? Like you have to build, <laughs> if you, you have to build something and like to your point, once you create the video, once you create an account, it's now the hardest part is getting it in front of the eyeballs. And actually I would challenge even the harder part is getting it in front of the right eyeballs, right? Yeah. Like, get, and, and for me, I, we were talking about this before, like I've shifted my focus of my content from Instagram and Facebook to LinkedIn. And I'm telling you, a majority of people in my industry are like, what the world are you doing? And I said, I get a lot of likes, a lot of comments on Facebook and Instagram. I have a lot of fans and I have a great community, but the people that pay my bills, the people that can afford to hire me are hanging out on LinkedIn. And that's why I've shifted that focus. And so I think for baby boomers, there is a fear of being overwhelmed. And it doesn't mean, this is something that I really, really harp on. You have to manage expectations from your own side. Like when I tell someone to be consistent online, their their immediate reaction is I can't I can't update Facebook every day. I don't have something to say. And I said, "Hold on. All I said was you need to be consistent. I didn't say it needs to be daily." And I think for 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 generation it comes out and says, "Okay, you know what? My consistent level is update, you know, checking LinkedIn once a week, right? And putting it out there. Like even even putting in your bio Thanks so much for stopping by. Um, this is a channel that I check uh, once a week. If you want to get a hold of me uh, uh, faster, please use my email. Like, don't be afraid to put your to put that out there because you'd be amazed. Like, the worst case scenario is you're not out there at all. 
But then if you're out there and you're telling people what to expect, it's okay. But if you're out there and you're not engaging and it's even like you're not listening, then it feels insulting, right? Like, oh my goodness, they don't care. And so that's why I, I think it's really important. Don't be overwhelmed by trying to be everywhere and don't be overwhelmed by trying to do it at the same pace as everyone else. Just own it for yourself and say, hey, I'm going to do it this often and I'm going to try my best to do it. And you have to test it over a certain period of time. It can't be for a week, you know, like three to six months of like, okay, I'm going to check it once a week and I'm going to see if it's worthwhile for me. The other piece of that is perfection stops a lot of us online, right? And, and, I, and I'm suffering, I'm writing a book right now and I'm suffering for it writing my book. I can tell you a mental, I've been writing this book for two years and part of it is in my head, I think that this book is part of my legacy that my daughters will see. And that's how I, 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 I might be an old soul for that element of it. And weirdly enough, my online presence, I am more transparent. I am creating content every minute of every day. I am posting 30 times a day. I'm all over the place, right? But if you look back at it as the book, and so for many, I think they have the reverse of what I have, right? That It's that idea of like, if I'm putting something out there to the world, it's permanent. It needs to p- portray something that is that I want out there. And I will argue this as hard as I can, is that, the more authentic you are, the easier this this digital world becomes. And, and, and I would go back to my dad, and this is a quote, I know you've heard it before, Dad, about, you know, I, I'm gonna bring it out, is that you know, my dad, I was on a Google Plus Hangout show in 2014, and I was interviewing David Miran Scott, a, a, a very prominent sales speaker and, and you know, amazing guy, and my dad texted me, and he's like, son, I love what you're doing, I love what David's talking about social media, but he's like, son, remember, Social media will never replace a handshake. And he texted me that. And I read that out loud on my Google Hangout show. I'm like, well, get my dad, who's the salesman that I look up to, just said that. And I said, you know what? My dad is right. What you're doing online does not replace a handshake. But if you invest in telling your story, you invest in social and build the relationships and at an authentic level, it gives you the opportunity to have more handshakes. And then what I like to say, it gives you the opportunity to turn handshakes into hugs. And what I mean by that is we, we, the, whole, the whole golf course experience, I'm able to meet people for the first time in person thanks to this world. And it is if, as if we played 18 holes of golf already together. The hardest part of that is it only will happen if you're willing to be your true self online, and it is scary. It is weird putting your vulnerabilities out there, admitting when you don't know something, putting a video out that isn't perfect where the lighting might mess up. Like, I know it's not, it's not like what we've been trained, and it's not like normal. But when you do so, it's when you become relatable. And and especially for I think majority of the older generations. I mean, the reason that networking works so well, the reason conferences still to this day, as much as as a speaker, I would love to say people should go to conferences because of what I do on stage. It's still the networking. And the reason that is, is because great storytellers, great people really stand out in those environments. And I believe all of those great people can do the same thing online. They just have to treat it the same way. So what what works that that that. That, that building of a relationship when you're at a you know networking event or you're at the local bar or even at the bowling alley or uh, you know at a pub or maybe you're at a salon, whatever you're talking about there is what you need to talk about online. And for whatever reason, we sometimes we sometimes forget that. And and it's to me that that that's probably the one of the biggest gaps. And it's a place where I love helping. When when I get to know someone that is a baby boomer, and we're maybe we're at, a, at an event where we're hanging out for a while, and I'll ask them, I'll be like, well, you know, you don't use social media very much, and they'll say. Well, it just hasn't been valuable for me. And I'll say, well, can I just give you some feedback? I'm a huge fan of yours. I believe in you. You've taught me a lot of things over the last hour we've been talking. 
when I researched you on social media, none of this that we just talked about was there. So the reason it's not working is not because of social media, but it's because you haven't taken what is great about you offline and transitioned it into this digital world. And that's usually a light bulb. And they're like, you're right. All I talk about is my business and my sales propositions. And I talk about, you know, like years of experience. And I'm like, yeah, but that didn't come up once in the hour that we were just building this relationship with offline. One of the things a lot of us have challenges with is separating church and state, understanding where our personal opinions, our political, especially in this day and age, our political opinions, and how to protect ourselves from, from that misstep. One of the things that is paralyzing to us is making that mistake. And, 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 and it's exacerbated by the fact we don't necessarily understand the rules of engagement. Man, this is a good one. Um, man, this might be the best. Wow, because I think, you know, in this political climate too, you know, so I'm a big believer, I'm a computer science major, so I'm, everything that I help people put out there, we do a risk versus reward matrix. We just put, we, we say, okay, we're going to tell this story. We're going to put the risks of putting this story out there. We're going to put the rewards of putting this story out there. If the risks outweigh the rewards, we don't put it out there, right? Like I, I always tell people there's a difference between being transparent and oversharing, but there also has to be a, a kind of a management of your own self. And I, and I would actually take this a step further. One of the things I think this, the older generations struggle with in social media, and my dad is a perfect example is separating the fact, can you do business with somebody that has publicly shared that they have a different religious and political views than you? Mm -hmm. And that is extremely hard for other generations because, like we said to start off the show, that used to be something you didn't really share ever. And now all of a sudden I'm starting to be exposed to it and I realize we have completely polarizing pol- political uh, uh, you know, beliefs. Which affects respect. It, respe- it affects so many of the different attributes that we want to do, uh, that we want to have in order to, to trust somebody to do business with them. And I think this is where I have to put it out there and say, okay, now it's not about, you know, because it's one of those things like now that we have more information, how can we make a better decision? Not just how does more information help me to keep making the same decisions I've made over and over again, right? And, I, you know, and, I, and I'm very um, outspoken uh, activist in the LGBTQ community. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm fairly good at you know, uh, standing up for certain political issues, uh, certain social issues, but I, I, for the most part, stay away from politics. I, for the most part, stay away from religion. And it's not like a, it's not something that I'm like, Ooh, I judge someone else for sharing it. What I've quickly realized is I can work with people no matter what their religion and no matter what their pol- political view is. There is really, I mean, I grew up, my dad, you know, here in the United States is as far right wing, uh, you know, American as you could get, fall off the train, right wing American. Um, and I have my first two business partners as an entrepreneur were as far left wing as you could ever get in the political spectrum. And, and what I realized was me putting that out there only has an opportunity to harm who wants to do business with me. Right. And I, and I, and I really own that. And the other part of this is you have to also own the fact that do you want to do business with people that get you or do you want to do business with everybody? Right. And like, I mean, I, when I first started talking about ADHD and I shared my tattoos on Instagram, I lost two clients. I had two clients that said, Brian, I, I love that you put yourself out there, but I don't believe you would be a great representation of our brand moving forward. Um, where I was at in my business, I was not okay with that. I was not in a position to lose clients. Uh, and it stung. And I can tell you, I looked back at that Instagram post 3,000 times and was like questioning to myself, what, you know, what, what was the rewards that were possible? And ultimately what it came down to is 
this person, as I was growing and telling my story, wasn't going to be my ideal client no matter what. And it ends up in the long run being the right thing. But early on, it is scary and it hurts. And it was, I mean, I questioned that post. I questioned my narrative um, in that post and, and why I did. But looking back now, my business and my success is, I mean, it is pretty much all thanks to social media and, di and digital. And it's because I weeded out those that didn't want to do business with me. And I own the fact, hey, this is who I am. If you like who I am or you can you can work with me, I put it out there. And it is it is scary. And I think this is where... Also, you know, business versus pleasure, right? Like that, that was part of the question as well. You know, people, we've always said people buy from people they like. That's always been the staple. And how do you like someone? You have to trust them. You have to get to know them. And I always say this. This is my, my, my addition to that statement. People buy from people they can relate to. Mm. If I can relate to you, if I can believe that you understand my pain points, I will buy from you. I, I have a layer of, and I, I don't care if you have no logo. I don't care if you're, I mean, and, and weirdly enough, if we're going to put millennial generation into one thing, our loyalty isn't to a brand or a logo. Our loyalty is the relatability of the person that we're working with, the product, the services, you know, like, and, and that's, that's where that's at. I think the, the, the older generations can really own this. I mean, if you think about it, like that's what, I mean, older generations have been doing great forever. I mean, that's what they're teaching us. And I think this is where you have to put it out there and say, my business might be great because I feel like I've built a big business, but let's face it, a majority of the business you've won is because you were a great person and you've cared about people and you and you invest in you know in your family and you and you all of these things. You have to put that out there. Like if if that's not out there, social media and digital marketing will not work for you. And I and I will tell you, this is this should be your goal as a compliment and this is a goal that I get it, every time I get this it, it it warms my heart when someone comes up to me and says Brian they, maybe they met me maybe they saw me do a workshop maybe I was speaking their business and I had this happen in Fort Lauderdale last week and his exact comment was Brian I didn't really believe you when I heard it but you are the exact same person that I met offline as you were online sharing your story you don't treat anybody differently you don't share anything and and he's like and that is what and, and this is someone for me that was wasn't my target demo he is definitely a baby boomer and his his element to him was he he didn't expect it right he expected my persona online to be so drastically different than what it was offline and it, and it, and that's the best compliment i get when someone says i'm the same both ways and i will tell you if social media is hard for you right now it's mainly because you're trying to put on something that you are not mm -hmm. online. Because if you're just sharing who you are and you're doing that risk first reward, and remember, transparency is not the same for everybody, right? Like not everybody wants to share their 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 what disease they had or that maybe they went to the doctor or they're struggling with something. That's not for and I never believe that transparency is blanket for but I think what we what baby boomers need to do is they need to ask the question and say, I share this offline and it results in this value, what is, why am I not sharing it online? We have to re-ask that question because online world is different in 2019 than it was in 2009. It's different than it was in 2015. The world we live in today, the social landscape today, I think is much more forgiving, much more inclusive. And yes, it could be more polarizing. There's more bad news and fake news, but there's also this element of we really love good people, yeah. right? And we don't know people are good until they put their heart out there. And that's such a struggle for so many. We talk about trust, authenticity, breeding trust. And I, I, I just, I'd like to flip that on its ear and say, you want people to trust you. 
in the online space. In order to do so, you have to trust your own story. Yes. And if you believe and trust your own story and you believe people can find value in who you are and what you are, that's probably going to be a recipe for success. And at least it's a recipe for making a darn good effort at it. Yeah. Without question. I love the way you put that. That is and – and I think trust in this online world is um, – it's exciting because you can scale trust at a level you've never seen before. But it's scary as hell because you can lose trust with yeah, the click of a button. It, and that and that is that that is a scary element, and I and I'm not one to sugarcoat it. I, I I don't believe in the selling fairy tales in that in that department. Um, you know, I've made a couple of those mistakes, but you know what? I made a mistake in 2005, 2006, is I hit reply all to an email that went to my our customers of the U.S. government as well as to all the bosses when I thought I was replying all to or replying only to my team, and I made some you know comments about our customer and kind of mocking them a little bit, and um, it. It hurt me big time. It was, you know, I missed step, and I think those have always been there. And yes, they might be at a at a grander level, but I would also argue that we are a little bit more forgiving now when you make those mistakes. And so, like, I mean, I remember I hit that reply all. I was sick to my stomach for three months. Yeah. Uh, still to this day, when I reply to an email, I click that like that one mistake I made where I mocked a client and or customer, and I mean, and he even got the email, and he you know, copied it and sent it to uh, one of my my generals at the U.S. government that he got an email of that. And but I think we we all have always had that that opportunity to make big failures and lose trust, but the, we've never had the opportunity to, to gain so much trust at such a scale. And I think that's part of that beauty. And, and I and I will say this, I, I, I believe the world needs more empathy. And this is the soapbox for me, this is the book I'm writing. And we can't be more empathetic for others until we can walk in your shoes. And we can't walk in your shoes until we know what you, what you care about, what you believe, why you do what you do. And I would say this with, with with all my heart that I believe that older generations are doing the world a disservice by not putting their story out there because we can learn, we can be open, we will become a better society the more people that listen to your show, the more people that are inspired to tell their story, to share all of their journeys because right now there's still people being rewarded for doing it the wrong way and people that just have a megaphone. But I will, I, I firmly believe the more that we get people to embrace this, the more all those bad news and those, those, those sleazy salespeople go away and the more we become an empathetic world. But it's impossible until people understand the value and importance of putting themselves out there. I have to thank one of my favorite millennials, Brian Fanzo, for that. I, I told you he was high energy. I warned you he is high energy. He goes a mile a minute. And as we discussed in the podcast, Brian is the exact same in person as he is uh, on stage or in a podcast. He's thoughtful, he is super intelligent, and he has a great perspective and great take. And above all, Brian's got a big heart, and I count him as one of my friends in the online space and in the real world as well. So thanks so much to Brian Fanzo. You can find him at brianfanzo.com. Now, before I sign off, I do have one favor to ask of you. If you have time and you're enjoying this podcast, please drop a review and a thumbs up in your podcast platform of choice. If you're on iTunes, do a review and make sure you give us five stars or however many stars they give. The more people that share information about this podcast, the faster we will grow and meet our goals of making a big difference in many, many Gen X and baby boomers lives. I appreciate your support. Till next time, I'm Steve Dotto. Have fun storming a castle.